Hi, and welcome to Does This Make Me Look Old? A podcast about aging as gracefully as possible when you're just not ready. We're two 40-something-year-old friends who find themselves kind of straddling that really odd period of time when aging and everything that it's associated with is starting to become a much bigger part of our lives. We're definitely curious, but at the same time, rather terrified about aging. I'm Shiv. I'm a health science nerd and pop culture fiend. And I'm Sim, an adult in waiting, obsessed with finance and self-help books. We're going to be talking about the stereotypes of aging and how they affect us. And we'll also be doing some deeper dives um, into some interesting topics, such as what it's like to get old in the society, dating when you're older, and scientific advancements in anti-aging products, and even evolution and scientific thinking around aging. And throughout it all, we chat, rant, laugh about our adulting mishaps, of which there are so, so, so many. So join us as we navigate our second quarter life crisis. Hi, welcome to this week's episode of Does This Make Me Look Old? So we're going to be trying something a little bit different this week because uh, we, want, we kind of wanted to do a deep dive on this story, which was promised in a previous episode. Um, so this is kind of a follow-up to our episode on I Care A Lot. So as promised, we were going to discuss a similar case that occurred in Canada. And um, yeah, so this week we decided that we would follow up. And this is the deep dive into um, Joan Lawrence, also known as the Cat Lady. So just before I start, um, I just wanted to let you know that um, a lot of this material came from articles from the CBC, um, as well as um, an article in The Walrus by an author named Xander Sherman, who has done a fabulous job doing this really deep dive into this really tragic case um, and has... um, Together with the CBC, um, he's produced a podcast called um, The Cat Lady um, for CBC's podcast, The Uncover, which is a a tremendous podcast that um, you should really check out. And um, the podcast on The Cat Lady is especially good. Um, I've um, I've also looked at papers... Um, sorry, news articles um, written by Xander Sherman um, in the CBC. Um, I've also looked at articles from Greg Higgins in My Muskoka Now, as well as uh, news articles from the CBC written by Lisa Mayer, Timothy Sawa, as well as Bob McKeon. In addition, I also looked at Wiki. And yeah, so that's basically a list of the um, sources that uh, we used for this deep dive into the cat lady. So let's get to it. So Joan Lawrence was born in 1921 in Ottawa. um, And at the age of 19, she worked as a freelance writer for the Toronto Star and the Ottawa Citizen. Um, She also worked for a number of other papers at the time. Um, So three years later, at the age of 22, she married an army lieutenant named Burton Gamble, Um, in 1943. Uh, She eventually started up a job in advertising, but unfortunately lost it at the age of 26 for, quote, trying to write a book while she was supposed to be working. I don't know how well that would fly in this day and age, but sadly, in in the 1940s, um, this was, I guess, a cause for dismissal. 
Unfortunately, uh, soon afterwards she got divorced in 1949, uh, and nothing much uh, is known about her life after this point in time, um, except for the fact that at some point uh, she and Burton had a son, and um, from some poetry that she wrote at the time, or actually some poetry that she wrote during her life, she um, it, it sounds like she may have had to give him up. Soon after, she uh, went to Toronto to take care of her parents um, until they passed on sometime in the 1970s. It's also noted that there was a dispute in her family regarding inheritance for property, which may have come to her, but unfortunately went to her aunts at the time. She and her mother were quite upset by the situation, and it's unclear if this actually precipitated her isolation. But a family newsletter uh, written by one of her relatives indicated that uh, quote, no one had heard, no one in the family had heard from Lawrence since the 1976 Christmas card, and she had left no return address. Soon afterwards, she became a resident of Huntsville in the 1980s. So this is according to many witnesses in the area, and it's possible that she owned property in the area, as her name shows up on a local property deed in 1984. Even though she was a quiet woman, she stood out among the residents at, uh, in Huntsville, um, they described her as quiet and articulate and small but tough as nails, who wasn't able to, uh, who wasn't afraid to make her voice known. She also earned the name of the cat lady, as she was known to take in unwanted kittens in the neighborhood and ended up collecting dozens of cats. Residents in the town referred to them as her babies, and really she treated them much like her own family. According to the OPP in the area, the Ontario Provincial Police, she wore Salvation Army clothes and would sometimes hitchhike in the middle of winter. Even though she was on a very limited budget, she would offer people $20 for short rides into town. Unfortunately, many refused. She was apparently living in a shack uh, while she was in Huntsville, which burnt down at some point when she accidentally left a stack of newspapers too close to her wood stove. That was in 1994. Soon afterwards, she would move between boarding houses and the Salvation Army, but she'd always find time to keep an eye on her cats in the woods. She eventually moved into the Cedar Pines Christian Retirement Home. This was an ordinary house north of Huntsville owned by, by a woman named Catherine Lawn. It's unclear what happened in the interim and how she wound up here, but in 1997, she began to have issues with money and moved out because the rent at the retirement home was too high. The lands moved her into an 8 by 10 foot shed with no insulation or running water, located on property owned by David, Walter, and Paul Lan, Catherine's brothers. According to people in the community, the land farm was the only place that she could keep her cats. The farm actually housed other elderly individuals as well. They lived in a few small outbuildings located on the property. In June of 1998, she paid a visit to a local law office. She was paying them a visit because she was quite worried that her income tax refund hadn't arrived. Joan, as I mentioned, had a very limited income. Her pension and old age security brought her about $900 a month. She spent much of the, the money feeding her cats and often went to the food bank for her own food since she would feed her pets first. Her income tax refund that year was for about $744. Uh, and given that she was already paying $600 a month in rent, 
This was a lot of money. So to put this in perspective, she was paying around $970 a month for an 80 square foot shed in today's dollars. So when her tax refund didn't come in, she became concerned. She went into a local Huntsville law office, looked into it for her and found that her check had been released and cashed earlier in the year and that the signature on the back wasn't hers. She now had a fraud case on her hands and would check in periodically into the law office to see whether or not the paperwork to take the case to the police was ready. In the meantime, a social worker had been notified about Joan's living conditions by a client of theirs who also lived on the lawn property. The social worker in turn notified the authorities and the local fire chief and a detective visited Joan's shed, finding her and at least 30 cats inside. Adult Protective Services got involved to find Joan another home, but while that was going on, Joan was moved into a decommissioned van on the land's property. She didn't want to move to a place that couldn't accommodate her cats. This was in September 1998. In early October, the paperwork for the possible theft case surrounding Joan's income tax refund was ready. Staff at the law firm told her to come pick it up, but she never came to claim it. In late November, a former limo driver who lived near Joan told his probation officer and an employee from Adult Protective Services that were checking in on him that he was concerned for Joan. He would often see her as she would go into and come back from town, sometimes bringing him candy and chocolate bars from her travels, but he hadn't seen her for at least three weeks. Based on this information, Joan Lawrence was now a missing person. During the course of the investigation into Joan's disappearance, it was revealed that Joan was actually frightened of her landlords. One of them would taunt her by stepping on her cats. Although the uncle of the lands, Ron Allen, also lived on the property and offered her use of the bathroom in his farmhouse, Joan would use the restroom of a fast food restaurant in order to bathe because, quote, you just never know what he's going to do. Joan also asked a social worker who lived nearby to call the police if anything happened to her. But oddly, one of the lands shared a bank account with her and could access it through a bank card. And even more strangely, it was being accessed when Joan was last seen, but in Bracebridge, which was over 30 kilometers from when she, where she lived. When Joan went missing, the police approached David Lan to discuss her possible whereabouts. They talked to him twice in two days, but his story changed between meetings. He said that Joan had gone into hiding and was living with some woman named Hazel. But in another interrogation, he'd say that she was living with a Scottish man named George. According to him, Joan was in New York, Vancouver, or Hawaii. On November 30th of that year, he told the police that he had visited her in Bracebridge, but eventually started referring to her in the past tense. He had over a dozen different stories about where she might be, but nothing could be verified. What the officers did find in December when they searched the property was that Joan's shed had been completely cleaned out. Her clothing had been burned. When they extensively searched the property, they did find dead bodies of her cats. More than half a dozen had been shot dead. It turns out that Joan's concern about Ron Allen were justified. He claimed responsibility for killing her cats with a 22 caliber hunting rifle. As part of the investigation into Joan's disappearance, police talked to residents of one of the land's residences, Fern Glen Manor. In January of 1999, the police interviewed Ralph Grant, a resident who began to live at the residence a little earlier, in the winter of 1998. Soon after the interview, he was slated to move to the private residence of the manager of Fern Glen, Milena Simic, as Fern Glen was scheduled for closure a week after the police interview. In November 2000, 
Police were following up with Grant, but then found he wasn't at Simic's. In fact, Simic told the police that Grant never arrived when the resident closed, and she'd assumed that the police had relocated him. In addition, two other seniors were also missing. John Semple was a 90-year-old man who was thought to have gone missing between January and March of 1998. John Crofts was a 71-year-old gentleman with bipolar disorder who was last seen in February or March of 1998. The Lands never reported these men missing, and although they couldn't be found, their pension checks were still somehow being cashed. Further investigation showed that 12 other residents had died while being in the Lands' care. These 12, along with Joan Lawrence, Ralph Grant, John Semple, and John Crofts, all had money stolen from them by the Lands. So who were the Lands exactly? They were a large family of seven brothers and sisters that moved to Huntsville in the 1970s. For some of them, their brushes with the law began as teens. Town gossip referred to stories of the siblings stealing things like skis from the local ski hill or even drugs from the local hospital. For three of the lands, these offenses became actual crimes worthy of records. David, the oldest sibling, was convicted of breaking and entering and theft. Walter has had over a quarter century of convictions starting at the age of 18, including those for breaking and entering, fraud, and impersonating a police officer. Some of his more disturbing offenses involved armed robberies and were described after 2005, one in which he groped an elderly man's genitals before confining him into a cold cellar, and another in which he bound an elderly woman's wrists and ankles, trapping her in her bedroom, telling her that she, quote, had nice breasts. Their sister Catherine served time in prison for drug possession, theft, and extortion by 1988 at the age of 25. Yet by 1994, they were somehow all able to open at least three retirement residences in Muskoka, Cedar Pines Christian Retirement Home and Fern Glen Manor, both near Huntsville, as well as the residence on the farm in which Joan Lawrence lived. At any time, up to 20 people were living on their properties and were under their care. In 1998, one of the residents of these properties came forward with a complaint about living conditions there, precipitating a police investigation. According to the investigation into the lands, members of the family would visit homeless shelters and hospitals in Toronto to recruit people to their retirement homes. They would pose as, quote, senior consultant and placement officers and hand out pamphlets to seniors living at men's shelters and at residences for those recovering from substance abuse, such as Seton House and Matt Talbot House. According to one of the managers at Seton House at the time, who actually told Paul Land that he couldn't be in the building unannounced, he got the sense that Paul was looking into these people as a source of income. The Lands would tell potential residents that they wouldn't be moved very far, just 15 minutes away from Toronto, when in reality the trip would take them to locations three hours outside of the city, According to investigations into the lands, once the residents got to these homes, they signed over their powers of attorney and gave Walter Land permission to change banking accounts and banking information. Any benefits, including old age security, income tax, and disability, would be deposited into accounts overseen by the lands. The residents had to ask lands, the lands for permission to leave the residence and wouldn't be able to get in touch with friends or family because, unfortunately, in the time without cell phones, Telephones were locked away. Although the lands described their homes as attractive and affordable with, quote, qualified staff, including a nurse and a dietitian, a contractor asked to work on the property and police investigating the lands indicated that the conditions were far from ideal. 
One of the properties was always in danger of being shut down because it didn't meet fire safety standards. Police documents described underqualified staff and a foul odor in the air of one of the residences, as well as mattresses found lying on the floor and up to 11 seniors living in a single four-bedroom house. Staff for the properties were usually family, friends, and acquaintances with questionable credentials. A contractor who was asked to work on one of the homes and bringing it up to fire code describes unfinished rooms with poor ventilation. The residents he saw were unkempt and dirty with old clothes. Instead of meals being provided by their in-house dietitian, one resident described eating craft dinner three times a day, broken up by the occasional boiled egg that was collected from the land's farm. One of the police investigators into Joan Lawrence's disappearance believed that the residents, quote, seemed more like prisoners, which was given further support when they were told by police that they could leave of their own accord, and the residents quickly stated that they wanted to leave, and the sooner the better. So how did this happen? How could members of a family with multiple criminal records be in charge of seniors' residences? How could they take advantage of their clients and ultimately steal thousands of dollars from them? Sadly, at the time that the Lands decided to run retirement homes, there was no official body that was involved in their oversight. No agency officially inspected the homes or ensured the safety of their residents. No agency would investigate claims or revoke a retirement home's license. Surprisingly, such an agency only came into being in 2011 with the establishment of the Retirement Homes Regulatory Authority. This agency currently ensures that residences comply with the Retirement Homes Act, which was only passed into legislation in Ontario in 2010 and only fully implemented seven years ago in 2014. As a result, 16 people under the care of the lands were swindled out of a significant deal of money before or after many of them passed on. The fraud case against the lands went forward and they were charged with stealing pension and old age security checks from their 16 victims, totaling at least $100,000. Catherine Lan received a nine month conditional sentence Her brothers Paul and Walter pleaded guilty to their charges and received conditional sentences. They were ordered to pay back more than $20,000 and $10,000 respectively and received probation. David's charges were mysteriously dropped for undisclosed reasons. None of them went to jail. The disappearances of Joan Lawrence, John Semple, John Crofts, and Ralph Grant are now being investigated as homicides. The cases are still open. All right, so that was the story of the cat lady. And um, yeah, so I basically wanted to bring up the story because like as horrifying as it is, it's kind of a follow-up to the I Care A Lot episode where we were talking about, you know, people taking advantage of the um, the elderly in the States and uh, whether or not it could happen here in Canada. And like, as you can see, it can clearly happen here in Canada. I'm I'm just so shocked right now. Um, I hadn't actually known about this story until you told me about it. Yeah. Um, and obviously I hadn't done the research. So as I was listening to you speak, I think just every second, I just kept getting more and more horrified. I know. It's just, it's just such a, it's just such a sad story. And I think like what really upsets me about it is that, I mean, granted a lot of this stuff happened in like the late nineties, but I, like, I think what bothers me about it is that at least in Ontario, like there were no, there were no rules around who could run a retirement home until like until 2010 and didn't even go into effect until 2014. Like that is not very long. Like that's not very long ago. I just don't understand how is that acceptable? I know. 
And like, why are we not hearing more about this kind of stuff? Or are we? And I'm just blind to it. I don't, I don't know. Yeah, that's exactly it. Like, I mean, so like... Like, I, have I'm I been sh- blind to it? You yeah, know? yeah, I know. Well, I mean, and that's the thing. Like, I mean, I only came across the story because like, I have a... I have a little bit of a true crime bent, right? Like I listen to a bunch of true crime podcasts and stuff like that. And um, I'm kind of drawn to these like dark stories. And I I had heard about seniors going missing in Muskoka like a few years ago. And then soon enough, like Xander Sherman from the CBC, like um, he's, he started writing like this article about this. And, and, um, but otherwise I would never have known. Like it was, it's only because I was interested in true crime that I actually like was aware of this story. And so I like, it is kind of surprising that this kind of thing can happen and people aren't up in arms about this. Like, yeah, I, I just, it, part of me wonders, is it just because. And Muskoka, like, I mean, is not like some remote, do you know what I mean? Like yeah. it, 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 it's such a huge holiday spots yeah. so it's not like devoid of traffic and devoid of yeah. you know do you know what i mean it's no, not exactly. like some cabin in the woods where you yeah. know people yeah. can actually go missing for days like it just feels like muskoka is right at our doorstep yeah exactly it's like right in our backyard mm-hmm. right and that these these poor people were being exploited and taken advantage of and then like ultimately died and like nobody really really paid attention you know until these people have like kind of brought it to into like the limelight and and uh yeah like i sometimes wonder like is it just because like we as a society are not really thinking about the elderly like we don't think about people once they like hit a certain age or or is it just because like there just aren't there isn't the infrastructure or the support system for you know people of a certain age who don't necessarily like, who think, fall through the cracks because of either mental illness or they just don't have like family support or whatever it is, you know? Some of these people actually have family members. Well, yeah, that's the other thing. Like, I mean, Joan, Joan had family, but then she kind of lost touch with them in the seventies. Uh-huh. And then like, and, and, but then like some of these other like people, they had family, but then, you know, they were getting a little bit hard to take care of and they were put into like these retirement homes run by the lawns. Um, sorry, I'm not sure if I'm saying that right, if it's lands or lawns, but anyway, so uh, run by the lawns and like, you know, on like first pass, they seem, it seemed to be legit. Legit. And then, and then you later find out that like, no, it was not, it was clearly not legit. And, you know, yeah, like people were being like, like fraud was being committed and people's like, like people's life savings of which it sounds like it was fairly paltry for a lot of these people, but they were still being stolen, you know, like, like it's so heartbreaking. I know it's just awful. Like, I mean, like collectively they, they stole from at least from what I understand, like 16 people, like, and it was like into the hundreds. Like it was into like this is literally I care a lot in real life. Yeah, yeah. That's and it's funny because I hadn't even known about the guardianship as a thing. Yeah. Until the movie. Yeah. And I like. Are you still as traumatized by that movie oh my as God, I am? Still just as traumatized. I still like. We think watched it. it. Oh yeah, we watched it like a few weeks ago, and I still think about this movie. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> like, like it is. It is very and Christmasina suits, but. <laughs> Christmas, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, no, I it, it is 
it's eye-opening and so horrifying like and uh like i just feel that that i mean it's great that in the states that there are some of these organizations that are kind of coming together in order Mm -hmm. to prevent this kind of abuse against um you know against senior citizens but like like why why don't we have something like that in canada or do we have something like that in canada like i'm i'm not even sure right no Like, like we should actually do some research on this before we reach the age. <laughs> exactly. I just want to be prepared. <laughs> well, but then that's I mean, I'm not, I'm laughing, but you know, yeah, I, no, I'm, I, I'm just, I know. I think well, I'm just so sh- traumatized by this whole story. You kind of have to laugh. Yeah. I know. Otherwise it's just like, you feel like you need to cry. Like it's really upsetting. And the other thing is, is that, um, well, the other thing that I find kind of appalling, and I mean, I know it's coming from a good place. So, like, I'm not faulting people for doing this, but, like, I was reading this MSN article about how, I think that they were actually referring to, like, like movies like I Care A Lot mm-hmm. and about, like, this guardianship issue and whatnot. And, like, but they put the onus on the individual. Like, I remember reading this article and it was just like, well, you know, it like, to prevent this from happening to you, you need a living will, which is, which is true. Everyone needs a living will. Right. I am a big, big pro- proponent of a living will, even though I don't currently have one. I'm, it's on my to-do list. I'm getting one. But, like, like yes, like, you should have a living will. Yes, agree. But then, like, then, then it's something like, oh, and you should keep it updated all the time because you don't know when you're going to be you know potentially losing your faculties like you know and like and everything was like the onus is on you but shouldn't there be some kind of controls in place so that people can't just walk in and do this that's exactly it like i think that's my problem with it i agree some of the onus must be on the individual you should have a living will in place you should have a will in place like you know just to make sure that like like your possessions and everything that like you have taken your lifetime to accomplish, like goes to the right people mm-hmm. and that like you're taken care of in the, in the way that you want to be taken care of. And like, whether or not, you know, and, like things like, you know, do you want medical assisted like um, interventions when you, when you, when you're older and you're, you know, infirm, like things like this, like these are things that we need to think about and talk about and like, you know, bring into like everyday speak so that it isn't, shameful or it isn't you know taboo to talk about like that I can talk to you about it with you and say like look if I'm like infirm or I can't like make my own decisions then make sure that like x y and z and like you know like if I had kids then the kids know that like Mm -hmm. this is what this is what needs to be done like that, that we need to talk about it in the open but then at the same time like I think that there should be some sort of infrastructure like at the federal level provincial level whatever so that like people are protected like it's just mm-hmm. it's just I don't know <sighs> sorry I'm getting like all worked up about this but like it's just really upsetting I'm right? just too flabbergasted to actually say much today <laughs> <laughs> um, no I and it's also the, the lack of consequences. Yeah. That is the part that's horrifying because yeah. what does it say about us as a society that there isn't an automatic um, consequence yeah. for yeah. something like this? Yeah, exactly. Like, it, it should be cut and dry. Yeah, like, exactly. You know, it's... Oh, no, I, I know. know. I know what you mean, because like, I mean, at the end of the day, the like the lawns got convicted for fraud. But then 
it it feels kind of like a slap on the wrist. It's like, oh, you stole some money from these people, but you know, don't do it again. You can go free now. You know, like oh, are guys, they out? Well, yes, it's for like they're they're out and about. Oh like, wow, yeah. So like, it's just uh, I like what's to prevent them from doing something like this again? You know, like I don't know. Like it's just, it's just upsetting. Or like, or like, what's what's to prevent like anybody taking advantage of you know mm-hmm. like senior citizens in this way? Like, or like you know those scams that are sometimes run where like people like I I have had like colleagues and friends who've had like grandparents and parents who've gotten scammed out of like thousands of dollars from people who call them up and say like, oh, you know, your grandson, he's in jail right now and you need to send us money right away. If you don't, then like... Do these things really happen? Yeah, they do. And and and, and people get scammed out of money. Ugh. It's really awful. Yeah, like it happens... I know about the, all the stupid IRS and... Yeah. Canadian like tax revenue things. Yeah. You know, like those scam calls yeah. where it's like, you have a, you know... Yes whatever i can't even remember yeah yeah voice but yeah exactly like you uh, yes exactly like the like you're you're in trouble with the irs so like you, you've been you've been con- you might be convicted for tax fraud if you don't do x y and z yeah and then now. i've been getting a lot of like foreign speaking scam calls yes and i've heard that you know they target immigrants of that you know community yeah and so imagine getting a phone call like that and where you don't actually know the system yet yes and you're so vulnerable. Exactly. Ugh, yeah. That is just awful. I know. And I think, like, I think that's what bothers me is that, like, these are vulnerable people and we're not doing enough as a society to protect them, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> no, it is heartbreaking. And, and thank you for um, doing the research into this. Uh, you know, like, like I said, I hadn't actually known about this. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, obviously, I didn't do the research. Like, you know, the the members of the Fifth Estate and yeah, Zander, yeah. Sherman obviously did, like, much, much more research into it. I'm just kind of, like, regurgitating it. But, like, yeah, it, like, it just goes to show, like, how much they clearly care about mm-hmm. the case and about these people um, to put the time and the effort into letting it be known. And I mean, you know, it's been several years that they've, that they've had this, that this story's been out and, mm-hmm. um, you know... Um, that it's kind of come out into the open. So yeah, so definitely check out Uncover CBC's podcast. Xander Sherman does a um, like a season on the Cat Lady. It's excellent. Yeah, it it and it's just so heartbreaking. Like just to just to listen to it from beginning to end. Uncover is a great podcast series in general. Like they they've been doing a number. Um, I think their first season was on Nexium. Yeah. So they've just been doing like a, a number of really good um, kind of deep dives into. Um, various stories uh in in canadian news so um but the cat lady was among one of them and i would definitely suggest reading uh just checking it out if you don't want to check out the podcast then um xander i think wrote uh, an article about it in the walrus called um i think it was murder in cottage country um excellent so um yeah yeah definitely definitely check those out yeah so i guess um i guess you want to call that do you want to call it for the week? Yeah. Okay. I think so. Um, but um, no, I feel like I just want to go and actually listen to the rest of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> the Uncover podcast. That's why. Yeah. Um, but no, I think um, 
we should wrap it up here, but for um, sure, yeah. But and, and the, it's it's excellent. And the other thing that like the other thing about the podcast and even the article, like or even the articles, and, and we'll try to link it to the website. Sorry, it's kind of DIY, and I'm trying to like sort things out on our Squarespace site, so links may not go up like right away, but <laughs> um, until I figure it out. But uh, uh, yeah, like the if you if you want to check it out, you can also check out some of Joan's poetry. She was she was an excellent poet, and it's just it's just really sad to see kind of what happened. Yeah, and uh, yeah, but in some way, I'm, I'm in some way I'm kind of glad about the internet, and um, because in some way, like a little bit of her lives on, right? Yeah, so, exactly. Yeah, no, that's for sure. Okay. Well, on that note. <laughs> Um, no thank you thank you for listening with us um and we hope you'll join us again next week yeah um uh, until then we're on social media on instagram facebook um twitter yeah um just google us and search for does this make me look old or you know when you go on instagram search for um the same thing (laughs) (laughs) or email us at does this make me look old uh at gmail.com and uh yeah until next week Sounds good. See ya. Bye.